RPGPot.podcast. I'm Randall James, lost in Baskerville, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And also Ash Eli. Elementary, dear viewers. <laughs> All right, Tyler, what's happening? Today, it's, uh, it's Spooktober, so we're going to talk about haunts. Uh, you know, things that are haunted, the things that haunt those things, and how we can use those in your game, both mechanically and as a storytelling device, and, you know, make things nice and spooky. Yeah, get the party into getting things either more or less haunted. <laughs> now, I'm generally in favor of making things more haunted. Uh, so uh, let's let's start with the basics. Just uh, when we say haunt, what do you guys imagine in your heads when we say something is haunted? Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. We've been talking a lot of Scooby-Doo lately. A hundred percent, that's where my head goes. Um, but there's different variations of Scooby-Doo, right? Like a lot of your uh, famous murder, murder mystery novels feel kind of like a haunt. Uh, yeah. Yeah, anything with like ghosts or ghouls or poltergeists or anything supernatural. Uh, a, a spooky house on the hill um, where maybe a betrayal happens. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that that house is haunted? Oh, most assured. On top of the hill. Okay, good. On top of the hill. <laughs> good. Or a cabin in the woods, maybe. Ah, that's <laughs> Betrayed good. Betrayed like by that. a person at a house on top of a hill in the middle of a woods. Yes. <laughs> Since, I don't know if we can use any of those names legally. Probably not. <laughs> there's, there's some references there. I think folks at home are kind of picking up on them. I mean, certainly we can talk about uh, maybe some board games that we've really enjoyed. For sure. So you guys are more enthusiasts of horror than I am. Um, you seem like people who occasionally will put on a movie for the specific purpose of being scared by it. Uh, why? Adrenaline, man. No, no, 100%. It's the thrill, right? Like, you, it it comes in two parts. Either you just want to be scared, right? Do you want something that you're going to be thinking about as you go to sleep that night? Um, And at that point, it's almost like eating a spicy pepper. It's like, this is going to hurt. I'm going to get a lot of adrenaline right now from eating this thing. I'm going to have fun with my friends. Everybody's going to be like, oh, 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 you're crying. Uh, And then I'm going to pay for it for like three days. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. (laughs) You're not selling me on the concept. No, it's great. People do it all the time. They love this. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like, yes, Randall's right. It's like asking why a person likes spicy food. The only thing that you can answer is like, I like the pain. And people are like, so are you a masochist? Not really. It just releases fun endorphins in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I will say there's a different kind of uh, scary movie, which is when you pair like mystery or a puzzle together with the scary movie. That's also really exciting. It's like, okay, am I about to have a clue revealed to me is major information that's going to help me understand what's happening so I can solve the puzzle before the people in the TV solve the puzzle? or is something going to like jump out and bite one of the character's arms off? I don't know which, and I love that. Like, I'm super into it. Okay. And, and yeah. I think we, we can create both of these things when we're creating haunts for our tabletop games. Yeah, and um, there's also just 
different kinds of haunts and horror movies in general, which uh, call back to our horror episode, which was the first episode that I was actually on this podcast as a guest. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, if people remember, I mentioned the difference between terror and horror, which is terror is more of like uh, sort of nothing is scarier, like the atmosphere, this tense moment before you feel like something is going to happen. Sort of like stuff that The Shining was really good at or uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and then horror is the release where, you know, a thing jumps out at you and scares you. Now, there's a difference between, like, slasher and horror movies, I would say. Like, I don't really enjoy uh, slasher movies because that's just, like, that's just action movies that have, that are trying to be scary, but usually <laughs> With a lot of red paint. Yeah, a lot of red paint. Yeah, and uh, there are rated action movies, essentially. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, good horror leaves you on the edge of your seat until finally uh, the reveal brings you back to the the back of your seat, if that makes sense. No, 100%. So I think what we're going to do in the episode today uh, is we're going to kind of take this in two parts. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about how to plan a haunt for your game. And then on the back end, we're going to talk a little bit about running the haunt in your game. Uh, and so a lot of it is kind of what is the prep work we have to do? What do we have to put together? What are the answers to questions we have to know as a DM or GM? And then actually, how do we execute on top of this? So yeah, ready to get into it? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to draw on uh, a couple of resources that are familiar for me, because uh, these guys have much more experience with horror movies than I do. Um, so Pathfinder 1st Edition has Occult Event- Adventures. Pathfinder 2nd Edition has Book of the Dead, which we reviewed recently and loved a whole bunch. Um, also, uh, Free League's Vicen system, great for monsters, haunts, and horror themes, uh, I think. You know, if I have the timeline right, our review episode with Zoe for Vicen will have dropped the day before you hear this episode. So go listen to that if you haven't already. Yeah, it's, um, it was really well done. Yeah. <laughs> By Zoe, uh, okay. I mean. Not, I'm not just yeah. tooting our own order. We did such a good job, guys. Let's pat ourselves yeah. on the back. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. I'm sure glad we were there. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's describe a haunt. Um, so I, we've gone with like the classic how you describe things in literature. So who, what, when, where, why, and how. And we'll like we'll go through these one at a time, but just to quickly summarize each of these things, who, uh, who or what is doing the haunting. So this is the subject of your sentence. Um, what, who or what is being haunted, the object of your sentence. So this would be like, uh, the ghost of Bob is haunting Bob's house. Like that's your who and your what. When, when did this all start? Because that can tell you a ton about your haunt. Where, where is the haunt currently? Because, you know, your typical haunt is probably going to be in a location, but sometimes it's like, here's this haunted beer mug that has been traveling from bar to bar. Who knows? Uh, Why, why is this happening? Generally, when bad things happen, they don't result in things being haunted. So what about this makes it special? And then finally, how, which is the mechanics of how will your haunt behave what specifically does the haunt do? And then um, how do the players resolve the haunt? So this is like, how do we get the ghosts to go away? How do we scare away the monster? Those kind of things. 
Awesome, so let's hop into who. So when we think about who's going to do the haunting, we can be talking about, you know, a classic thing is to have a ghost or some kind of undead creature, you know, creaking in the night with like bedsheets and chains, because apparently they were coming back from Home Depot. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it could also just be like a more mundane creature. Uh, and that's kind of the big Scooby-Doo approach, right? Like, oh, it's going to be a monster this time. It's going to be a monster this time. Just kidding. It was the innkeeper. That can still be a really fun story to tell. That's still a haunt, and I think it's perfectly valid. Uh, it could also be random creatures. It could be, you know, a pack of wolves that's attacking everybody with meat or cheese on them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, don't carry sandwiches through these woods. Little Red Riding Hood. Anybody? No? Anybody? <laughs> oh, I, I thought this was a uh, Baskersville thing. Sometimes it's both. <laughs> we can do both there's no reason we're inventing our own story we're on haunt here um yeah uh who i think is really important because who will give you motivation uh how they go about what the reason like what the reasons are that they have to do what they're doing but another thing you can also do is you could just cut the who out entirely and just have the location itself as the who Sort of like a good example of this is The Shining, where it's kind of ambiguous. As to, yes, there are ghosts, but that's not the main driving force. The main driving force is the self-isolation, the fact that um, Jack Nicholson's character, I forget his name. Jack uh, Torrance. Is, Jack Torrance. Okay, thank you. Uh, is slowly descending into madness. Um, so that is a way that you can do it. In fact, like if you want like more mechanical-based approach, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill uh, is a board game that uh, deals with this very well. There are a few haunts. That's what they're called, haunts. Um, one, uh, uh, some of which uh, basically just turns the player, one of the players into a psycho who is trying to murder people. There's no real, super, super, there's no real like, supernatural creature or thing you're trying to defeat. You're essentially just trying to run away from a person who was your friend and is now trying to kill you. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a great thing to bring up, the idea that it, it could literally be the haunted house, and the haunted house could be the problem. Uh, if you want to do this, uh, whether this is kind of a step away from your normal game, where like, hey, let's take the party, go on a quick adventure, and then we'll come back, or whether you're trying to make a campaign out of it, taking some of the character flaws or some of the, you know, oh, my dark past, taking some of the dark things that have happened in the history of the characters, and then leveraging that for the storytelling, or maybe you go in one room, and if you know, you're from a tribe that was like washed away when a tsunami came through, you go into a room, and you find like water up. You, know, you can see the water line on the wall, and the water is rising. You know, having a room in the house for each member of the party, and maybe a little bit something that they have to experience where they get to tell a little bit of their own story, uh, can be just as much fun as actually having a ghost running around rattling chains. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, we go back to The Shining. You know, that was uh, a big part of, was it the, the Lookout Mansion? Overlook. Overlook. Hotel. Overlook. The Overlook Hotel. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so that was a big part of the Overlook Hotel is that it was actually feeding on the, the negatives that were of the past of the main character, Jack. So I really like that. Yeah. In a way, the players are haunting themselves. Yeah. It's just like real life. <laughs> Jeez. All right. <laughs> Wait, it's it's October. This episode's supposed to be dark, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, it is. 
<laughs> Look at oh, me. I'm going to go soft on you, the Spooktober. You were wrong. <laughs> 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 All right. So let's jump to the next W. What? Uh, what are we doing? Do you mean uh, what? What? <laughs> is that reference still funny? No, uh, it's, it's an old joke. It checks out. Yeah. Everybody do that tomorrow. Don't really. <laughs> All right. So uh, what is being haunted? So any noun, pick a noun, person, place, thing. Um, probably don't want to hunt an idea. Um, although, you I don't do know, maybe you're braver than me. And like uh, you, you haunt the concept of being thirsty in the middle of the night or something like that. Like mm, you wake sense. up, you're like, boy, I could use a glass of water. And now I'm surrounded by ghosts. Why are the bourgeois being haunted? <laughs> I will say a thought demon is not a bad idea. Like, think whenever you think of a certain thing, a demon manifests. Like, uh, I don't know. Classic examples. Uh, I can't think of any, like, off the top of my head, but, like, uh, boogeymen to discourage people from having sex <laughs> by the Catholic Church is like, yeah. if you have sex, the demons are going to get you. Or if you <laughs> think horny thoughts, the demons are going to get you. Um, there's a. Uh... Let's see. So are you familiar with sleep paralysis as a concept? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the. Or, or an activity. Yeah. No, I've had that. <laughs> so the, um, the idea of something coming and accosting you when you encounter sleep paralysis is like a human norm. Basically every culture in the world has some legend around sleep paralysis. Um, in the United States, the most common one is alien abduction. Uh, so, like, that, that could be a thing that is haunted. Like, your character wakes up in the middle of the night, they find that they're having some sleep paralysis, and maybe there's a spooky monster there. And, like, yeah. that could just be the whole thing. It's just, like, the, the party shares some sleep paralysis, and it gets weird and scary. Yeah, in this case, there actually is a demon sitting on your chest, not letting you move. Which is pretty yeah. freaky. Like uh, a demon ha uh, haunting your dreams. Like we don't get enough dream stuff in D and D. Like there's like one spell and one creature, <laughs> the night hag, um, which would be a good person for a dream uh, haunt scenario. But oh, hundred percent, like, a night hag coven. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that would be that would be a really good one, especially for like a Halloween episode, uh, um, or a Halloween session, I should say. But um, yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned alien abductions because. There's sort of a theory like the alien, the alien abductions are kind of modern day version, modern day folk tale versions of Irish fairies, like the fae folk who would abduct people and replace them with changeling stuff. So it's sort of like our modern day fair folk. Yes, uh, so that is another. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to do classic ghosts. Another haunt you could do is just a very malevolent fae creature, like a hag, <laughs> or maybe an archfey of some kind. Something that you have no hope of defeating and is constantly messing with you. You can only hope to banish it. That, that would actually be a really funny haunt, just like a really bored fae. Yeah. <laughs> but you can, there's ways to make fae, like, people always, like, uh, uh, depict fae in a lot of D&D campaigns as, like, you know, prissy elves or humans who are kind of comical and are constantly causing mischief. We forget that fey folk in original mythology were pretty nefarious and creepy, horrible creatures. 
that um, had malevolent malevolent intentions. And so there are ways to make fake creatures really scary if you lean. Yeah, they, they don't always have to be so whimsical. Yeah. yeah. Talking about what is being haunted, we've given the idea of like, okay, you might have a, a house that is haunted. We talked about the idea that the house might be actually doing the haunted. But, but yeah, stepping into where are the places, like you could be on a train or you could be on some conveyance, so you might be moving. Uh, one of the ideas that, that we want to toss out is, what if it's not a place that's haunted? What if it's a person or an item? So whether it's a ghost following an individual and whether this individual is somebody uh, you know, precious to the, to the ghost, um, or whether this is the person who killed the ghost, or both. You know, these are interesting things. If it's something uh, more innocent, like we brought up the idea of like, oh, it's a pack of wolves chasing people, maybe you're doing a little red riding adventure, and, you know, the wolves are just following the scent, but ultimately the person suffering from it might be this NPC that's hanging out with the party. Uh, and then finally, in the first Spooktober episode of the year, we talked a bit about like creating great monsters and we had this idea of like okay well what if this thing is like jumping from magic item to magic item and so it's effectively a haunted magic item you know yeah take, yeah. yeah take anything that you can attach the hunt to which is going to be either the creature or the problem that has to be solved where does it track what is the environment because ultimately this is the setting for your hunt yeah and you mentioned wolves and stuff and uh haunting a person like doesn't even have to be possession. Maybe the hunt is trying to help an NPC that you like that you found out has lycanthropy, and you're basically trying to chain them up or watch them overnight while the full moon rises, and maybe they escape. That's a whole, that's a whole session unto itself with a with a really compelling haunt. Yeah, yeah. How do we chase this creature down that we like and keep everybody else from killing it while also keeping it from killing others? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like like taking your friend out for their twenty first birthday, right? <laughs> i never thought of that that is werewolves are like turning 21 well oh, there yeah. you go <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on a golf weekend right now so i'm actually feeling this <laughs> oh that's okay too, that's too funny so i think the, the next thing that we step into is basically how did we get into this situation uh so yes. is this is this an old haunt has this been something that's going on for a long time um so again we keep coming back to the idea of ghost because we naturally associate ghost with haunts but whether it's you know a demon or a devil that's torturing an area whether it's a fake creature that's been in the area for a while or whether it's more innocent creature you know the innkeeper right if the innkeeper is pretending that it's haunted but it's actually stealing from guests or something like this ultimately there's going to be a history of these experiences so we'll talk a little bit when we talk about actually running your haunt but I'll say this is the place where you should identify what are the past experiences, what are the things you want to reveal to the party immediately, and then what are the important pieces of the story that you want to keep in your pocket to be re revealed at more critical, uh, you know, critical things along the way. Uh, in other words, you're not going to have the party walk into an inn and read you know, the entire biography of the ghost leading up into their death and then play the session, right? Instead, you're going to come in and somebody's going to say something like, oh, there's been strange happenings around here lately. That's it. That's all you're going to say in the beginning. Uh, and then you're going to let the story start. Yeah. Um, I think uh, nailing down when also kind of commits to what the overall point, what the tone is you're setting for the story. Because 
uh, if when is really important, maybe it's that the part of the haunt is figuring out the history of this place so that you can banish the ghost. Or if it's not as important, maybe the goal is to just survive or escape. Um, so that will really tell you some stuff. Uh, as an example of a thing that I think did this really well, since we're pulling examples from things, um, one of the best haunted locations in a video game that I ever saw, and I'm going to sound biased when I say this, but bear with me, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines has a really good haunted house, one of the scariest, and it, it succeeds because it never shows you the ghost, at least not directly. It just sort of has this spooky atmosphere where things are thrown at you, and part of the adventure is piecing together what happened, because you're given very little information. You're told, a ghost is haunting this location. Get rid of it. Um, and you find out that it's, in fact, two ghosts. One is the ghost of a wife, and the other is the malevolent ghost of uh, her husband, who went crazy and murdered her, a la The Shining. Um, and you're basically having to piece this all together, figure out what the history is, try to find something that binds the spirit to the location and excise it. So that in and of itself adds mystery, adds mystery and adds intrigue so that you're, so it's not just all scare all the time. Yeah, I'll give another example, uh, you know, that's only 20 years old. So whether <laughs> you're thinking the Japanese version or the American version of The Ring. Yes. Right, what you are led with is a very creepy video and the reveal of a dead body. And you get to experience this in the present, but it's essentially, for all intents and purposes, it's a flashback, right? Before the main characters come in, the main characters aren't involved yet. And so if you think about how you would do this for your party, you might have somebody recount the tale to them. And so what do they know? Uh, there's a video, uh, a girl died, and then you're presented with a video and you watch it, and that is the trigger for the curse. Now, you don't know how long ago this started, but you, as the person preparing the story, understand that it's actually quite old. You know, it's been several, several years, uh, and this activity has been carrying on and on and on since then. So having that, uh, having that backstory down and understanding the origin of this is ultimately going to help you tell a better story for your part. 100%. Um, you can also consider what has happened with the haunt, like since the haunt occurred, because it's entirely possible that your players aren't the first ones to encounter it. Um, like if the haunt just outright kills anyone who encounters it, then not a lot of witnesses. But there are a lot of ghost stories where like people have a brush with the haunted thing and run away and live to tell the tale. And like you might have those kind of stories accumulate over time. So a local mythology builds up around this haunting. Um, like uh, New Orleans famously has ghost tours. Like it's, it's a thing you can just go to places that are supposedly haunted. When you look at real estate listings, sometimes they will tell you whether or not the home is believed to be haunted. It's a thing. Uh, and you actually have to report this. It's very important. Yeah. Uh, uh, Randall... You're very acquainted with New Orleans. For our international listeners who may have not been there, uh, how would you describe New Orleans? Uh, haunted, just so so haunted. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'm kidding. But it, it, right, it's a rich city with a lot of history, um, a lot of different communities built there, right? So you have like the um, uh, famous like the Irish Channel, right, where there was actually a huge group of Irish settlers there, 
but a lot of what was there is torn out. You have the French Quarter, of course, everybody knows about the French Quarter. Uh, lots of great food, lots of great culture, a lot of societies that all gathered there. Um, you know, you had uh, black folks who moved in the area, you had Native Americans who had moved in the area. So, first of all, for food, go for food and eat. Uh, but two, it, it's kind of interesting because you wind up with that melting pot, that hodgepodge of all of these different stories coming together, which makes for a really cool place to have haunted house stories. Yeah. Um, speaking also as someone who was a tour guide for ghost tours in Savannah, Georgia, another very haunted city. Um, a lot of these haunts that we tell are very, very old, um, which makes sense because in order for a ghost story to have permeated, it needs to have a sort of mythology about it. And if something is only like a few years old, it gets chalked up to the realm of urban legend rather than, you know, um, because people who are still alive to confirm or deny what happened are still alive, essentially. Um, so a lot of these, uh, Savannah is another one of those old, it's like one of the oldest towns in, in America and it has a lot of, you know, checkered history. Slavery was a thing. <laughs> um, and most of the, we're going to get to the why in a minute, but most of these haunts that you'll notice come out of tragedy. Uh, usually, I hate to say, it's usually because of either something a white person did to a minority or a man did to a woman. <laughs> so maybe don't do that. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I, and that'll bring us back to lines and veils, you know? Yes. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about where your haunt is, because that's another wonderful detail. Um, like we've talked plenty about haunted houses. That's an obvious place because that's where people live. Mm -hmm. um, your, your haunt might be mobile. Like you could have a, a haunted carriage that rolls through town at night. And like, if you look close, you might see ghosts. Yeah, I want, to, I want to distinguish this between kind of the what we gave as like the thing that is haunted. And so is the, is the thing doing the haunt or is the creature or, or the person, if it's something more mundane, you know, if they're attached to an area. So the innkeeper is attached to the inn, uh, this magic item that's haunted, like it's attached to that item. When we talk about where here, what we're really talking about is the setting all around it. Uh, and so, for instance, uh, if it, let's say it's a watch and the, the watch has a spirit that's, that's chasing it or Every time the watch hits noon, a demon comes out and claims a soul, something like that. Uh, not a lot of souls left in town when you got there. <laughs> um, you know, the, the watch is the important part for the target of the haunt, but the setting is just as critical. Why is this haunted watch in this town? Why is this carriage doing laps in downtown? Um, you know, what, what is the environment that surrounds... Uh, you know, it's really... We're, we're talking about the hill in our house on the haunted... <laughs> yeah going back to uh mobile haunts like you mentioned a haunted carriage another really good idea that is rife for just a lot of spookiness because people have a lot of phobias when it comes to this a haunted circus uh maybe it's a circus <laughs> that wanders from town to town and has a bunch of creepy people that steal children or other things and take them with them to on this creepy almost wild hunt style uh circus and if for those of you who don't know the wild hunt is a surprisingly common myth 
uh, throughout a lot of cultures of just a procession of ghosts that charges through the countryside at night and captures people. Like almost every mythology, every culture has a myth concerning something similar to a wild hunt. So use it, don't, don't limit yourself to just one location. Mobile haunts can be very effective and very terrifying. I, I will say, I think, uh, kind of an unrelated thing, I think most cultures also had a need to keep children in the house or residence after dark so that they wouldn't be sneaking out. Completely yep. unrelated to this idea that, you know, masked people are running around stealing kids at night. Oh, yeah, no, totally unrelated. <laughs> So ultimately, you know, we've talked about like how long has this been going on? We've talked about the general setting, what is the haunt attached to? And then finally, you know, what is the haunt? Is it, you know, is it a creature? Is it a problem? Is it a puzzle? Uh, is it a mystery? Uh, ultimately, let's get down to it. Why has this happened? Uh, and so I think we've talked about kind of in, in real life mythos, a lot of times there's an attraction towards building a story around something that happened a long time ago. Uh, because even you know, this is the fun thing about stories, right? If I tell you a story uh, based on something that happened a thousand years ago, your assumption uh, is that I'm not a liar, <laughs> right? You believe, whether the story is true or not, that I heard this story from someone who heard this story, from someone who heard this story going back a thousand years. And that's what builds the age of the mythos that makes you think like, oh, this is really big. You know, I remember being a kid having my uncle like tell ghost stories. Every time he told a ghost story, it was never, uh, you know, hey, this crazy thing happened to me. Because then I could look at him and be like, oh, you're a liar, right? <laughs> but if he tells you, well, I'm going to tell you a story that, you know, my dad told me once or that, you know, my, gran my grandfather told me once. At that point, well, I can't, you know, cool, okay, you're just telling me something that happened, so I have to listen. <laughs> and it automatically gives it credence in a big way. So similarly, when we think about, you know, building something in our game, you can have somebody run into the inn and say, like, you know, wolves, wolves have drugged Donnie off into the woods and we must go after and chase him, right? That's not going to be as spooky. That's not as horrific. If instead somebody comes in and that says that that happened and then somebody else is like, you know, oh, it must be the, you know, the, the, the creatures of Magula. And you're like, oh, what are the creatures of Magula? And it's like, let me tell you the 100 years history. And then you're sitting there like, why don't people just move? <laughs> Yeah, that, that is one interpretation of the question why. <laughs> um, I think you also, when we're discussing the con concept of why when it comes to haunts, is why should players care? I mean, that's a question that you kind of have to ask about any sort of mission, side quest, or session that you're running. But I think it's especially important with this, because most players aren't going to want to go to a haunted place. because like going to a dungeon i feel is uh more players are on board for that than going to a haunted house it seems because with a dungeon you can see the thing yeah maybe some things will sneak up on you but you you think you can kill them with a haunted house you don't know what's in there like that's part of the that's part of the appeal is that it's complete a complete mystery and also you don't know if you can actually fight it um and that is scary to players. So if you're going to do a haunt, make sure that you have a good reason for your players to do it. Maybe uh, a classic one is a guy sells them a house uh, for pretty cheap and the players don't make an inside check or question everything. And <laughs> turns out their house 
is haunted and now they have to figure out how to cleanse it before they can turn it into their stronghold. Or, you know, you could go with the old Scooby-Doo thing, like business has been bad lately ever since that ghost moved in. Can you kids solve my problem for me? Sure, old man Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was always old man Jenkins. Uh, no, old man Jenkins was always the ghost, I feel like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> old man <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> Would have gotten away with it too if you're one for you meddling kids. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. And the the guy who was asking them for help, if he wasn't the ghost himself, which sometimes he was for mm. some weird convoluted like, reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hired you to doubt myself, Drat. <laughs> well, I, think, I think the real answer is he's like, I'm gonna hire this group of teenagers, and if anybody asks me, like, well, I tried everything I can think of. <laughs> I, yeah. I hired I hired a uh, detective team. <laughs> I hired really? five teenagers. They had a van and everything. Yeah, yeah. You guys <laughs> were supposed to fail so that I could show that I did my due diligence to investigate. <laughs> Curse you for being competent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about why a haunt starts. Uh, I feel like we we just hit the Scooby-Doo one. It's because somebody's up to mischief. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally when it's an actual haunt, like there's going to be some circumstances which cause the thing to be haunted now we mentioned this earlier but it's very frequently something tragic uh sometimes violent often scary like so this this can definitely get into themes that might require safety tools so you know be respectful use your lines and veils bring an x card to the table like do those things um but Knowing the circumstances that led to the haunt existing tells you a lot about the haunt, and like that can be a good starting point for how the players will eventually resolve the haunt, and and potentially even why they might bother to do it at all. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll also call out: this doesn't necessarily have to be malicious. It doesn't have to be dark. Uh, you could have a lot of fun with this. Like, if, if folks want to get together and play a Scooby-Doo style haunt more than a House on a Haunted Hill style haunt. You can absolutely put that together. Uh, and I think the answer he- here is one, the beauty of doing a haunt is you don't have to answer all the questions. You can leave things vague. There can be a ghost or there could be a creature. There could be something there. You don't have to answer how it got there uh, to the point where like, if they get to the point where they're interviewing the ghost, because uh, the, the big thing is convincing the ghost that it is time to go to the afterlife. <laughs> Whatever you're here for, it's over. It's like, oh, how did you die? You don't have to give some tragic backstory. It's like, the soup was too hot. What? I, you know, and then we move on with the story. Nobody has to, it doesn't have to be dark and brooding. Yeah. Um, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Like when you're t- discussing why, when it comes to why the haunt started, the why you can also think of as the key because the why will tell you how to unravel the haunt. Usually ghosts have a reason for why they're haunting a specific location or supernatural location. Um, either it's an item, like we said, but tying them there, or it's unfinished business, uh, or it's the house itself. And destroying one of those or solving one of the problems will be the key to unraveling the haunt itself. And yeah, like Randall said, I think don't be afraid to go ambiguous with it and maybe not give like a full resolution uh, all the time. Uh, feel free to go Blair Witch with it. Yes, I think Blair Witch is a good movie. Fight me. 
no, well, no, I'm too scared reasonable. to watch it. So by uh, by that metric, it is a successful horror movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like too successful, honestly. Just lost a viewer right there. <laughs> um, cool. Well, do we want to step into kind of how? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our sixth yeah. H word. How? Yeah. So so how is where um, mechanics okay. might start getting introduced to your game? Uh, so. So this is the part where I'm useful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're always uh, useful, Tyler. <laughs> so haunts are generally supernatural by nature. So in a lot of games, your your haunt, the mechanics around it can be intentionally vague. Um, like Vison is a good example of how to handle haunts because like the game is built around dealing with haunts and fairies and extra supernatural stuff like that. Like if you want to bring haunts into a game like DD or Pathfinder, Star Wars, like one of those games where haunted things aren't an everyday occurrence, generally you can get away with the mechanics being a little bit loosely defined. Like the ghost appears like you don't need to be like okay the ghost uses spook as an action and everyone makes me a saving throw no you can just be like the party is scared everyone make me some wisdom saves or something um now pathfinder does have rules for haunts in both editions uh in in pf1 they're kind of their own thing and then in pf2 they're a very specific kind of hazard um, so there are some mechanics that you can use there, but even then you don't have to be bound completely that, by those mechanics because you want this to feel um, supernatural. You want this to feel out of the ordinary. You want this to feel like, okay, the players came in here loaded to the teeth with plus two swords and whatnot, um, and that's not going to help them solve this ghost problem. So if you kind of like skirt the rules just a little bit, go beyond what is normal and what the party can normally deal with like that, that can help reinforce the horror elements. Um, now, when you do need to get into those crunchy mechanical parts, um, D&D, Pathfinder, a lot of RPGs will have guidelines for improvising um, damage and DCs for things based on like your character level and how hard you want things to be. So you can just pull those off of your GM screen or whatever and be like, okay, um, the the ghost drops a chandelier on you. Take 2d6 bludgeon damage or whatever you need. Um, and yeah, like you can come up with those on the fly and it'll still feel plenty spooky. Yeah, and we've talked about this again when we were describing monsters in our last episode. I want to call this out again. Not explicitly saying, you know, an ogre walks in the room, but instead describing the creature. Similarly, describing its actions without saying the name of the action that's being used uh, can really add to, you know, whether you're building like Malazer Dread, whatever uh, step we're at, you know, the, the act of a night hag putting nightmarish dreams in your mind to prevent you from getting a full rest, a long rest if only described as, you know, you drift off to sleep, but in your sleep, uh, a horse appears. Uh, as you look closer, you realize that the horse is mostly skeletal. Uh, it is moving towards you in silence. Uh, and all of a sudden, right when it leans back and its hooves are going to come straight for your face, you awaken. It is morning, and you don't feel rested. Right? Like, no Night Hag was mentioned. Nothing said that a nightmare was casted, but you're like, oh, 
I didn't like that. What just <laughs> happened? And then like, you know, as, as a DM, you could say like, you know, everyone else had similar dreams and it's like, okay, well now we've set the stage, but I haven't mentioned the monster. All I've done is made you feel like, okay, something is off. Where are we headed? Yeah. I think keeping the monster mysterious, at least initially is a good idea when you're dealing with haunts. I think that if you're rolling initiative at any point in the haunt, it should be the last encounter. Uh, otherwise, I think you've messed up somewhere. Because as soon as, cre- as you put a creature in front of players that they can bash, it loses all of its mystery. Um, which is a lot of people's complaints with some horror movies. Because, you know, once the monster has been revealed, and if you keep revealing it over and over again, it loses its mystique. It loses its power. Because, as Hitchcock said, nothing is scarier. Uh, than any because when you don't see a thing, your mind can conjure up images that will terrify you in ways that the DM just can't. Um, so I would be cautious with haunts uh, to not put regular combat encounters in front of players, unless it's like you know animated statues that the poltergeist or whatever brings to life, or minions of the night hag. Um, but don't put the night hag itself, um, unless unless they have solved everything and this is the final Um Because at that point, all the cards are on the table. And in terms of um, also like making making sure that the haunt is creepy, Randall uh, made a very good point about description and describing things. I think also don't neglect atmosphere in terms of like spooky sounds or spooky music because a session that is filled with horrible sounding wails and screams in the background and creepy nightmarish thunder and rain is gonna put your players on edge more than just a silent room that you're just asking for roles in that's not serious music yeah Yeah. i i will say i think one great way to use initiative here is actually to set up uh like complex complex traps and hazards or a, a puzzle where you're rolling yeah. initiative and you're using pushing initiative to build tension by forcing everybody to answer quickly, think quickly, um, maybe even to the point of being willing to actually skip a turn because a player isn't reacting quickly enough. In that way, you can build tension in for the players to think quickly and move through to solve the problem, uh, which in turn is going to make the haunt more effective for them. Yeah, and I think, I think you can roll initiative in situations like that, like puzzles. Or another good place uh, to do it is in chases, which we'll discuss next episode. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, for monster, like for combat, I would be very careful where you use it. So I think our, you know, we we've given a lot of great tips. I think for planning the haunt and all the details that you need to write down ahead of time that you need to know the answers to. I think we're at a good place. Let's actually talk about executing the haunt. Okay, so the way that I want to describe this is in five stages, all right? This setup, uh, this is where we're going to drop clues, we're going to give a little bit of the story ahead of time, we're going to introduce characters, we're going to learn a little bit about the environment, and we won't know everything about all these things, but we'll understand enough to get to the next stage, which is ultimately leading to the actions where the haunt actually begins. Maybe it makes sense for your party to basically say, at this exact moment, the haunt begins and we're in. A lot of times it makes sense to let folks 
in a uh, kind of a softer environment, just walk around and like, hey, how's it going? Uh, and this is a good time to build malaise, uh, give a little bit of hint of where we're headed. Uh, but ultimately, we need to get to the point where the hunt is triggered. Um, now we want tension to be ratcheted up. So now we want to talk about uh, either surviving or stopping the hunt. If the idea is that we're actually meant to, uh, you know, to prevent this from ever happening again, we can drive towards that. If the idea is like, at best, you're going to survive and you're just going to get out of here, let's get towards that. But either way, at that point, we hit the pinnacle, the hunt is resolved. And then finally, optionally, we have the reveal, which is giving the full backstory for everything that happened. And a lot of times I feel like that's as much fun for uh, the DMGM. If, like, if you take the time to write this thing, maybe not everything made perfect sense. Uh, maybe not all the clues were found or revealed. And so this is a great time to just talk through, okay, what was actually the story? Uh, and if you're like me and you watch you know, a horror movie or you watch a, a movie that has a bit of mystery to it, you walk out of it and you're just like, I, I think I got that. Like, I think I picked up on all these things. <laughs> So then you go to the internet and you're like, there was so much more than I knew. Like, that's a great feeling for your players. And so you might be able to give that full story to the, uh, to the players as the DM or GM who wrote this. So I, I want to like go through that one more time because I ran through rapid fire there. Uh, we did an episode. So the first episode that we ever did with Ash was on horror. It was episode 10, last Spooktober. And what we talked about there was building malaise, building that sense of unease before we start to ratchet up tension, moving our way towards dread. Uh, and so we talked about the backstory and kind of what you want to reveal. Uh, this is what the setup is, right? Uh, so if this is meant to be more like uh, a bit of mystery, a bit of puzzles, maybe we see the environments that we're going to have these puzzles in. Maybe we learn a couple key names that you call out of like, okay, these are key figures that are going to be important. You know, if this is tied to like a haunted family, maybe we learn about the family tree and we find like, you know, think like the Harry Potter family tree where you have everybody's names and some people's are like, you know, blacked out and marked out. You can give these kinds of clues so that when they're trying to solve the problem, they have a reason to go from point A to point B in the setting instead of just sitting in one room and saying, it's like, I sure hope this ghost doesn't come back. <laughs> um, but ultimately, let the party have a little bit of fun. This is a good time to, you know, if you're a group who likes to joke around, this is a great time to joke around. Um, but ultimately, you know, they need to find the urn that they absolutely accidentally tip over. Um, maybe the first time they go to sleep in the place, that's what ultimately triggers it. But you as the writer, you had an idea for how the hunt was going to begin. Ultimately, everything we're doing in the setup has to drive us towards that trip. And once you've got your haunt going, like you, you need to have a sense of how the haunt is going to behave. Like we, we've established like, We've got a backstory. We know why the haunt happened and where um, Randall just talked about how how the players will be introduced to the haunt and trigger it. And then what does the haunt do at that point? Like um, uh, PF1 Occult Adventures has an example that I like where a room is haunted by the ghost of a cat. Um, the ghost will appear and then the room will swarm with skeletal rats and the players have to fight the rats. And if they don't deal with the cat ghost at some point, the rats keep coming back every time someone re-enters that room. So, like, that room is inaccessible. Then, like, very simple behavior. Cat eats rats. Rats are now angry. Rat skeletons. Mm. So, like, you have a very clear mechanic. It's triggered when the players are enter the room. Um, the, the room is haunted by skeletal rats and sometimes a ghost cat. Um, and then that you know that 
Very simple. Very simple behavior. And at that moment, though, you've hit the resolution, right? We fight these rats. Uh, do we then have to befriend the cat with, like, ghost tuna? I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> the written solution for that one is the players have to kill a rat in the room. A real rat or a skeletal rat? I believe a, a live rat. Oh, okay, that's weird, but all right. So we we, we yeah. sacrifice rat in the room, and that appeases the cat god somehow, I guess. Yes, But, but yeah, you, you have to lay down those clues. You have to give, because it, it can't just be like, oh, I guess you never solved this room. There mm -hmm. has to be some hint that maybe if we killed a live rat, somehow this will get better. But that ultimately, like, that gets you to the resolution, okay? Um, the resolution should have payoff. Um, you should give a sense of relief. Like, this is a place where I think it's important in your planning to have exposition written ahead of time so that when the event happens you read it because just the act of reading it to your party lets the party know like we have hit the event you have solved yeah i think when you're approaching haunts um it is good to just keep in mind that design a haunted location like you would design a dungeon uh if, if you were listening to our episode of five room dungeons you'll know that there's you know the first room, second room, and all of them have a different purpose. And with haunts, you're designing, I mean, with all dungeons, you're kind of designing a story, but more so with a haunt, because a haunt has a clear, like Randall said, it has a setup, it has a beginning, it middle, it has an end, it has a payoff and a reveal. And that it, the story of a haunt matters, I think, more than the location itself essentially like um like with dungeons the main focus is traps how the dungeon is laid out maybe it's a maze uh treasure and stuff whereas the haunt the dungeon quote unquote is a backdrop for the play that is being performed in front of your players no i think i think that's a great way to put it like the the entire story is the purpose of the haunt otherwise you're just in a dungeon fighting a ghost or a ghoul. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, and so having this trigger, having the moment when everything drives, having something that builds tension and dread, um, and then finally having that resolution, I think are all critical. You know, I'll call out, like, the resolution doesn't necessarily have to be good old-fashioned combat. In fact, a lot of times it's not the right way to resolve it. Instead, consider a skill challenge or a skill challenge embedded in combat. So while I'm fighting this creature off, I also have to be destroying some evil artifact or, you know, one person has to be focusing on reading a scroll to cast a spell. And if their concentration's broken, then they have to start over. And so everybody has to survive till we get through that. That combining of a skill challenge beyond combat is going to give an experience that's better than the typical dungeon. Uh, it could just be solving like a complex hazard. Like that could be a lot of fun. Um, that, that act of solving the hazard could essentially be the thing that it takes to either banish the demon or send the spirit away, but ultimately hitting that resolution, and then finally having the opportunity to just sit with the players and kind of talk through, okay, no kidding, you know, here's everything that happened, here's the full story beginning to end, what did you understand? Like, that's really cathartic, and that's a key part of the experience, because what do we talk about? I eat the spicy pepper, I cry in front of my, my friends and loved ones. <laughs> And then afterwards, we all sit around and we talk about the peppers. And even people who don't love peppers, they're still kind of enjoying their camaraderie. Tyler, I really want to get you into spicy peppers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, God. But it's, it's a metaphor, though. It's spicy, a metaphor. Food. Okay. spicy food's awesome, Tyler. It's very good. <sighs> all right. I'll, we'll, uh, I'll start working my way up from black pepper, and we'll see how it goes. Oh, buddy. 
that's as spicy as you can go. Uh. We have a question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes to us from Wing Lady on Discord. Do each of you tend to find yourself more as a DMGM or a player? What draws you to and away from either of these roles? Um, I find that I am mostly a player, which uh, I don't think will surprise people. If you're at a table of five, there's four times as many players. So just like statistically, most people are more likely to be players, myself included. Um, I do really, really enjoy uh, being a DM GM. Um, very, very rarely do I run anything long form, though. Like I love a good one shot every once in a while. Um, but the way I've described it to my wife, and I'm pretty sure she has completely ignored me on this, but uh, bear with me anyway. Being a player in a game is like going to Disneyland. Uh, being the DM is like getting to run Disneyland. Like it, it's a different beast, but it is a ton of fun. For context, she loves Disneyland, so like that analogy is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That context helps, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. That's yeah, funny. Indeed it does. I also I want to call it the paradox. Paradox that you the, the paradox. I want to highlight the paradox that you just called out, though. Um, statistically, they're more likely there are more players out there than there are DMs and GMs, and yet everyone you ever will meet is a forever DM or GM. <laughs> and both of these things are true somehow. Yeah, that is that is very true. I'll go next. So I find that I love DMing and GMing, and I can say exactly why. Um, I I like to tell jokes. I like to build stories. I like to like try to uh, improv. Improv is fun to me. So putting together, you know, something while we're role playing is a lot of fun to me. As a DM or GM, I feel like it's my role to work with the players and to draw that out of everybody. And I feel like I'm making the game better doing that because I think it's my job. When I'm a player and I do this, I worry sometimes that I'm stealing the spotlight too much. Uh, and so I tend to think twice about always hopping in and, and trying to like turn what was meant to be a quick conversation into like a five minute joke when I'm thinking, okay, probably most of the party just wants to get on. Like, let's kind of get through this so we can get to the next part of it. Um, I, I, I worry as a player that I'm, I'm maybe turning the spotlight just too much on me. And so I, for that reason, I think I prefer to be a DM or GM because I think. I can strike the balance. I can get everybody else involved. Uh, and I feel like I'm actually doing my job at that point. Yeah. Uh, first off, uh, shout out to you, Wing Lady. Great question. But also, the memes you link in the Discord are solid gold. And I love them. And me and Colby always laugh consistently. So thank you for bringing <laughs> joy to my life. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, to answer your question, um, I am kind of in the middle. I think I lean more towards dming just uh, like i do both pretty consistently because i'm in a game and i run a game right now um but i lean i have more fun i think as a dm than as a player um and the reason for me is not as eloquent as randall uh <laughs> yes i do like creating stories and i do like you know design encounters and leading players into this little toy box that i have built for them that's fun for me but also I'm a person who has very bad ADD <laughs> and uh, I hate to say it, but when uh, 
when my character's not doing anything, I'm very bored. <laughs> um, I also just have all these cool character concepts in my head that I want to play and I want to use, but I can't because I'm stuck with one character. Um, whereas with as a DM, I just I just can create characters where and put them wherever I want, and so uh, I, I I don't have to feel like my my cool ideas are going to waste and i don't have to feel like i'm tuning out of something that i shouldn't because i always have to be on and i always have to be atten- pay attention to what's going on um i do apologize to my other players but that's just that's just kind of how my brain works and it's not because i'm being <laughs> selfish or anything or that what you're doing isn't interesting it's just not about me so <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that about yourself <laughs> yeah all right no, i think we did it all right all hail the leisure illuminati Hail. Hail. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, uh, Facebook and Twitter, RPGBOTDOTNET, Patreon.com slash RPGBot. And hey, come hang out on the uh, Patreon-only Discord where uh, we're sharing memes and talking about the one D&D playtest. It's a great time. And I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at GravenAshes. I have just... Um started accepting invita- uh, request to join uh, one shot I'm running for the week of Halloween called Escape from the Vanishing Halls. I recently realized that people can't request to join if it doesn't have an actual date. So it has an actual date now, <laughs> thanks to uh, the person on Twitter who pointed that out to me. Um, but yes, uh, you can follow my Twitter to get updates on that. and find. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you will find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.com content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. I have to say I'm feeling kind of lonely right now because all three of your cameras just died for me because of bad connection problems. Oh, so oh, now no. I just see three black squares. Oh no, your internet this is the connection haunt? is haunted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sad. I'm so yeah. sad. I-